With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live.
I ask you, Father, to help us to understand your word and the truth better and more clear than ever before. And may all of the Babylonian doctrines be cast out of us in Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Praise God. Greetings, brothers and sisters all across the world. Greetings to our brothers and sisters in Canada, in Australia, Korea, the United States, and across the world. Today we're going to be talking about the verses in the Bible that says that there is no good person. Is that true? Is it impossible for us to be good? Are we all just wicked, no fits, trash? Is there no good person upon this planet? Is it impossible to do good? We're going to study these scriptures, and we'll start in the book of Psalms, chapter 53, song number 53. And while you're turning there to song number 53, I encourage you to have a notepad, ink pen. I really encourage you to do this. Because regardless of your memory ability, regardless of anybody's ability to remember a lot of things, we still are carnal, we still are in this flesh and blood, and we're still not capable of remembering all things to, to the full degree. And it is really, really helpful to take notes during services to help you to be able to, to be able to go back later in the week perhaps later that day, the next day, or later in that week, or later that month, or two years later, and review those notes to refresh your mind, especially in times and situations to where you might need to remember that particular verse or that particular topic that it may come up again two years later, and you might be able to remember most of it, but there might be a golden nugget, a treasure of truth that you actually forgot. I have an excellent memory, excellent, excellent memory. Yet, even I will forget certain tremendous points as each year goes by and as we continue this life and, and new things come and go and people come and go and situations come and go that occupy our thoughts. And then those tremendous things get pushed way in history, way in the back, and they're not as memorable as what they should be because our minds become so cluttered. And to be honest with you, what I see is that most people what I observe is that most people really do not have a good memory. Most people do not have excellent memories. Even those people that might think that they don't have a memory problem, 
every time I talk to them, they don't remember what they've already told me a million times over and over. My observation of most people is that their brains are just not at full capacity because of the foods we're eating or TV or something or demonic uh, activity against us or something is preventing most people that I talk with from knowing what they just said to me yesterday. So I really, really encourage to take notes. It really is helpful. Now, for the record, today's date is June 24th, 2017 A.D., June 24th, 2017, in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, in God's calendar, I'm a little perplexed today because Either today is the last day of the third month, the 30th day of the third month, or it might be the first day of the fourth month. The reason there's a question about that is when I look at the uh, recommended websites for looking at the lunar phrases, uh, it doesn't show that there's any illumination of the moon for tonight. But then when I look at tomorrow, it says 3% of the moon to be illuminated. 3% is a whole lot for the first day of the month, but it's not impossible. Uh, Because what we're dealing with is that the moon is actually out there 24 hours a day. It doesn't go away. The moon is always there. You just not you just might not be able to see it really well in the daytime, especially with it being a new moon, because the new moon is so thin that it may be very difficult to see at times. And so uh, sometimes there are questions, and this is very, very common among all the people all across the world that are watching the moon to determine the first day of the month. Most, well, some of the time, some of the time, we are not for sure when that new moon is going to be. And there's a great question about it, some of the months. In other months, we're pretty confident, very confident about when it will appear. But some months, we're not real confident. And so it's not written in stone, it's not written in concrete when any of the holy days are or when any of the first day of the month is. Now, I've made calendars all the way up to 2020, maybe 2021, I'm not sure. But we need to be able to tell time with the moon because You can calculate ahead of time, years ahead of time, to say, well, we think something's going to happen with the sun or the moon or a comet or asteroid or something, but we don't know the exact time of anything until it happens with the sun and the moon and the stars and all this. 
So we have to be able to look up with our eyes and be able to tell the time when it actually happens. But now, I'd like for you to understand this as well, that if you are trying your best to keep the holy days at the right time, within the best of your knowledge, the best of your ability, and you accidentally keep a holy day a day off, a day different than what you're supposed to be keeping it, God is not going to send you to the lake of fire just because you accidentally kept a holy day one day different than what it actually is. As long as you are doing your best to keep it on the right day and as long as you're only off only by one day. Now, if you're off by 15 days like a lot of people are or a whole month like some people are, then I believe, yes, you'll be held accountable for that because to be off by two weeks or four weeks or five weeks is more than just a mistake. It is purposely formed for a false doctrine that's teaching you that the moon at crescent is not the first day of the month, but rather is at the full moon. Some people say the full moon is the first day of the month, so that gets you two weeks off. And so if you fall for the false doctrine that the full moon is the first day of the week, then that is not wisdom, and it's falling for a false doctrine. And all false doctrines are from the devil. Every one of them. And a truly saved person will be delivered from every, every, every false doctrine. It may take you a few years, but sooner or later, if you are truly saved, God will deliver you from every false doctrine. If you are truly saved and growing in him, and he is living in you, then he who is living in you will not allow you to stay in false doctrine, but he will deliver you from false doctrine. But just being off a day is not false doctrine, but it's just a mistake about, you know, or misunderstanding about is it, is the moon out there or not? I can't see it. So as humans, we're capable of making mistakes. Amen. Now, since this is either the last day of the third month or the first day of the fourth month, it really don't matter. And I couldn't couldn't cure uh, a a heel of beans about whether it's the last day or the first day of the fourth month and third month because there's no holy days this month. So it's not important. And so I'm not going to spend another hour, another two hours, another three hours, another six hours, or another six months trying to figure out what day this really is because it doesn't matter what day this is because there's no holy days for all of this month or last month, either one. But now if this was the first month of the year or this was the seventh month of the year, 
when we have pa- a Passover, Days of Unleavened Bread, or if it was the month of uh, Trumpets and Atonement and Feast of Tabernacles, yes, I would definitely, definitely do everything within my ability to figure out exactly what day it is. But since this is the middle of the year and there's no holy days, then it doesn't matter whether it's the first, second, third, or fourth, or fifth, or the hundredth day. You know, it just doesn't matter. So, let us not get over-focused about things that are not important. That's a major, major, major problem in the church is people get on something and get so totally focused on it when it's not even important about that particular thing. We've got a lot of things that are much, much more important than to strive over certain words, certain letters, certain dates. We need to pick our fights. We need to pick what we need to spend our time on. Now, with all that said, let's get on to the sermon today. And the sermon is, no good person. I've heard this said by many people over the years, that the Bible says that there's no good person. No, not one. And I've heard many people over the years say, uh, we can't do good. The Bible says that we don't do good, we can't do good. Heard a lot of people say that. So what does the Bible say? Let's start in Psalm 53, verse 1. Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one that does good. It says no one does good. Verse 2, God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Everyone, every one of them, mankind, has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt, and there is no one who does good, not even one. Whoa. Verse 4, have the workers of wickedness no knowledge who eat up my people as though they eat bread and have not called upon God. There they were in great fear where no fear had been, for God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God restores his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. Amen. Well, there's a lot of people in this world that take every word of the Bible as literal. And they have no spiritual understanding And without the Spirit of God, we cannot understand spiritual things. But we, as people who have the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ living in us, 
We are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, that the spirit of God dwells in us. So we should not be carnally minded. We should not be like Nicodemus, who said to Jesus, how can a man enter back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? We should be spiritually minded. As spiritually minded, saved people, people of God, the saints of God, we should understand that this is a person writing a song who is venting frustration about the wicked. How that when you look at the world, it looks like everyone is wicked. It's hard to find anyone, amen, it's hard to find anyone that loves God and who will accept the truth and obey him and follow him in the truth. There is no one that is saved. When you look at this town, when you look at this state, when you look at this nation, when you look at this world, there is no one. We feel like we are all alone. No one. But despite our frustrations, and despite the frustrations of the person who wrote this song, don't we know the truth that there are saints of God? That God does have his people. That he does have some true followers in this world. And we are among them. Is it impossible for there to be any good person in this world? The people that take this literal and the people that quote this often, the people that have quoted it to me, they are under a very sad delusion that we are not good and we cannot be good. We're trash. We are wicked. That is what that doctrine teaches. That is what the devil wants us to believe. That is what the carnally minded person can conclude. It is a doctrine that has led to people falling away and becoming atheists because no one can be good and no one can do anything that's good. There are preachers, there are ministers, there are pastors who are preaching that we cannot be good and we cannot do any good thing. Because those ministers, those pastors, are carnally minded. And they don't know when something is literal and when something is just the frustration of man. Amen. Notice here in verse 1, it's talking about the foolish. It's talking about the atheists. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. The context is the wicked, looking at the wicked world, looking at the unbelievers. But in no way, shape, or form is this teaching that there is no one upon the earth who is good. It is simply the frustration of a human person that is all it is. Frustration at 
the majority of the world being wicked. Look at Romans chapter 3. But before, as you turn to Romans 3, eat well, wait a minute there before you turn there. Look at verse 6 here in Psalm 53, verse 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion, meaning Jesus. And when God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. So even though he is singing about his frustration about the wicked, the lost people, he concludes the song with a message of hope. That even though the world is lost, there is salvation available. That there is coming a Messiah. That there is coming a Savior out of the land of Judea, which is called Zion. That there is hope. That there is somebody, a God from heaven, that is coming to save and deliver the people. Amen. Now we go to Romans chapter 3. Romans 3 quotes this verse, Romans 3, verse 1. Verses 1 through 26. Romans 3, verses 1 through 26. Romans 3, verse 1 says, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God, the words of God, in the beginning, that the Israel was trusted with the Bible in the beginning, and then eventually the Gentiles. Verse 3, what then, if some did not believe, their unbelief would not nullify the faithfulness of God will it. In other words, even though uh, people, the Jews, rejected the word of God, God trusted them with the oracles of God in verse 2. God trusted the Israel, including the Jews, with uh, passing on the scriptures to the rest of the world. He gave them the truth first. And then they rejected it. They did not believe the word of God. They rejected it. But that's not going to nullify, that's not going to void the faithfulness of God. God has a plan. And even though many people have rebelled and rejected his word, God is in control. And God has a plan. And God knew that Israel would reject his word, twist his word, corrupt his word. But God has a plan. Amen. If you read all of Romans, the book of Romans tells you that he started with the salvation for the Israelites, but then he purposely blinded the eyes of Israel, of the Jews, so that the Gentiles would start believing and make the Jews jealous. And then, once the Gentiles become believers and the Gentiles are saved, 
once the time of the Gentiles were fulfilled, then he is going to bring back Israel to him and restore Israel to him. Salvation will come to both the Jews and to Israel and to the Gentiles, but one at a time. And there are different generations, different times when God is working with different groups of people. He has different foes, different flocks to deal with, and he will bring them in. But he deals with one flock, then he deals with another flock, he deals with Israel first, then he deals with the Gentiles, and then he comes back for his first flood. He comes back for Israel. Amen. Then verse 4, may it never be that the faithfulness of God be void. May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Verse 5, that if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how would God judge the world? But if through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that that good may come, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is a open grave, and there are tongues that have, they keep deceiving. The poison of snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes, unquote. So Paul writing to the church in Rome, the true church in Rome, the true saints, the true Christians in Rome, Paul is quoting the book of Psalm 53 as well as Psalm 14 and other places in songs and scriptures quoting, saying that, yeah, you know, if you look around, the world is lost. And the Jews have been lost, and the Gentiles have been lost, the Greeks have been lost. It's very frustrating when we look at the world. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For though the law, through the law, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Talk about no distinction. 
between Jew and Gentile. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all lost, every one of us. Every person who has ever lived, we were lost. And there was none of us that were good while we were lost. When we were lost, we were not good people. And we did not do good. We may have lent money to people. We may have allowed people to stay with us and give them shelter and food. We may have helped people, but we didn't keep the commandments. We didn't obey God. We didn't serve God. We were serving the devil. Every one of us were when we was lost. But then Jesus came to us, and he separated us from the world. And he claimed us as his own. And we became members of his kingdom, members of his family, members of his congregation, members of his church. He cleansed us. Amen. Now, used to, when we were lost, we were under the penalty of law. We were under the law. Meaning, we were speeding, we were killing, we were uh, stealing, we were lying, we were cheating, we were committing adultery, we were breaking all the commandments. We were under the law. We were under the curse of the law. We were under the penalty of the law. We were under judgment and condemnation by the law. But Jesus came and he saved us from the penalty and the curse and the judgment and condemnation of the law. We are saved by his blood, not by our works. Amen. But that doesn't mean that now that we are saved by faith, now that we are saved by grace, now that we are saved by Jesus, now that we're saved by faith and belief in Jesus Christ, now that we are saved, that we can go back and break the law again. That is not what that means. But that's what Babylon teaches you. Babylon teaches you that once you come out of the law, and once you come to Jesus Christ, and once you are no longer a sinner, that you're still a sinner and that you can keep sinning and you can continue to break the commandments and that there is no such law. That you can be a lawless, chaotic, rebellious, sinful person and still be saved. That is what Babylon teaches you. But the truth is, once you come to Jesus Christ, that does not mean that you can return to your old ways or continue your old ways of breaking the law. Amen. Now, we have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. We know that. But once we are reconciled to God through the flesh and body and blood of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God, we are saved and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. We are cleansed of all filthiness and we are no longer filthy, but we are cleansed. Amen. We were no good, but now we are good. We were dirty, but now we are clean. 
We were nothing. We were the walking dead. We were zombies. But now we are alive. There is a difference, a major difference, once Jesus saves us. Verse 24, being justified, that means to take off the old robe of filthiness and put on the new, fine, clean, white linen. Justified, if I remember right, I believe that means reconciled. I have to look at the Alpha Omega Bible as well as some of my notes, but I believe that means to be reconciled as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a, a propitiation in his blood through faith. That's a sacrifice in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Yeah, we all sinned. But he has passed over those sins, meaning he has washed them away. He has forgotten them. They are gone as far as the west is from the east through the Passover blood of Jesus Christ. He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He justifies us. He reconciles us. He brings us back to the Father so that we are no longer lost and dirty and filthy. The context is the same. In fact, he quotes Psalm 53. That, yeah, the world was lost. We were lost. But there's hope that comes out of Zion. There's hope through Jesus Christ. And once Jesus delivers us, we are not the same. We are transformed. The old man is gone. The new man has come. Now, the old man may have been filthy and abominable, but the new man is clean. He is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Wasn't it David, I think, that said, cleanse me with thy blood, even though my sins be as red, be as scarlet, cleanse me and I shall be white, cleansed as snow, cleansed as snow, even though my sins be as scarlet, Cleanse me and I'll be as snow. However that goes, I know I'm not getting exactly right. I'll be whiter than snow, meaning cleansed. Now, another verse people use is Mark 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him, before Jesus, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now this is used by Jehovah Witnesses and other people to prove, try to prove that Jesus is not God. But look at the very next verse, verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, and so forth. After Jesus says this about no one is good except for God alone, he starts quoting himself. Remember, it was Jesus who spoke the Ten Commandments, who wrote the commandments with his finger in the stone tablets that he gave to Moses and spoke directly to the people through thunder and lightning. It was Jesus Christ who spoke the commandments. Even the New Testament says that it was Jesus who delivered Israel through the Red Sea. Jesus. The New Testament tells us this. It was Jesus the whole time through all of the Bible. It was Jesus that created all things. John 1 tells us that. Colossians tells us that. We only have one God. We don't have two gods. We don't have three gods. We don't have four gods. We only have only one God. And he has only one spirit and only one being. There's not two beings, two gods, two Godheads, two persons, three persons, We only have one God. He is one person. He is one being. He is one spirit. And we are all baptized by one spirit, the Bible says. So he starts quoting his Ten Commandments that he spoke on Mount Sinai. So he was not saying that he is not God. But what he was doing is he was asking the man, Why do you say this? He was asking, just like he did with Adam and Eve, where are you? Did he not ask Adam and Eve, where are you and what did you do? And who told you that you are naked? God knew where they was, what happened, and who told them. But just like a parent will ask their children, what did you do? when we already know what our children did. He was asking to get the response. Why are you calling me good? Only God is good. But what we must understand here is the word good in Greek. Because almost every Greek and Hebrew and Assyrian word has multiple meanings. Multiple. Some of the Hebrew Greek words have as many as a hundred, some as many as a thousand different ways that you can translate a word. And because of that, again, we must read the entire Bible in order to be able to translate these words. And that's why you have to read the Bible over and over and over and over again. Nobody, even the truly saved, 
no one can understand every word of this Bible the first time you read it, or the second time you read it, or the third time you read it, or the fourth time you read it. You have to keep reading the Bible over and over and over and over. And every time you read it, you're going to understand it better. You're going to start knowing it. You're going to start memorizing it. You're, and things are going to just come alive and just light bulbs will turn on every time you read it, without exception. I'm not talking about every day you read it that a light bulb would come on. But every time that you read the entire Bible, there are going to be light bulbs to come on multiple times every time that you read it. So if you read the whole Bible, and I'm going to give you some verses that proves that we can be good and we can do good because we have to consider those verses. If we don't consider those verses, then, yeah, we'll take this verse literal that it just means good when it doesn't mean good. Because the Bible does talk about good people, good works, and good deeds being done by the saints. Amen. So this would be better translated as perfect. So reading it again, verse 17, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, perfect teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me perfect? No one is perfect except God alone. You know the commandments. And he starts quoting his commandments. Because the commandments lead to perfection. The commandments lead us to truly have love toward God and fellow man. Jesus said, both in John and in 1 John chapter 2, he said that if you do not keep my commandments, you do not love me and you do not know me. And if you say that you love me or know me and keep not my commandments, then you are a liar and the truth is not in you. The commandments Teach us how to show our love toward God and toward fellow mankind. They teach us how to do good. They teach us how to be good people and how to do good works. They teach us how to be a good person and how to serve the perfect God. Amen. Now this man called Jesus the perfect teacher. And isn't that true? Amen. He is the perfect teacher. Now, Jesus did not say, do not call me the perfect teacher. But he only asked the question, only God is perfect, so why are you describing me with the same words as you describe God? God would ask God, Jesus was asking him, why are you describing me with the same words that describe God? He wanted an answer. 
He was not rebuking. He did not rebuke him until the man refused to sell his property. If this really means that no one is good, if that is what it really means, if people won't be stuck in their Babylonian doctrine, if they want to take this as being literal, that there is no one good, then we might as well just hang it up. Because if there is no one good, and it's impossible to become good, and it's impossible to do good, you can forget heaven. Amen. Because if there is no good and it's impossible to do good, then we are bad. And are bad people going to be in heaven? Is the kingdom of God going to be filled with nothing but bad people? If there is no good people, then what's left? Only bad people. But Babylon wants you to trash yourself, put yourself down, and wants you to continue in sin. Babylon teaches you that you've got to continue in sin because it's impossible for you to stop sinning. That is what Babylon wants you to believe. Look at Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Verse 5. Genesis 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart, man's heart, was only evil continually. The whole world was evil in the day of Noah before the flood. Jesus saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of the heart of man was only evil, continually. Verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he had made mankind on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. And Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Amen. So, God was frustrated, even as David was, even as Paul was, even as you are, even as I am. We all get frustrated. Even God gets frustrated. And the whole world is wicked. But there are a remnant of his people. There is a remnant of his people. 
and that remnant of his people will only be multiplied in the great tribulation. Amen. There is a righteous one. Noah was righteous among the entire world. There was one. Amen. And chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all of your household. For you alone have I seen to be righteous before me in this time, in this time, in this generation, in this day. To God was saying, you're the only righteous one right now in this time frame. But he did not say that Noah would be the only righteous man in all of human history, but only that he was the only righteous one at the time. We know Abraham came along later on. Abraham walked with God. Isaac, Jacob, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, so on, so on, the prophets of God. They were good men. They were righteous men. They served God. We have two prophets coming up in the great tribulations, the two witnesses. Are they good? Do they do good things? Look at Ephesians chapter 2 now. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, of course, the two witnesses are going to bring judgment, damnation unto the lost people. There won't be rain in Jerusalem for three and a half years. They will kill the wicked with the voice of their mouth, with the word of God. Yes, the two witnesses will do some things that the world considers evil. But they're good men, chosen by God. They walk with God. They are righteous men, symbolically, symbolically clothed with sackcloth. They are humble men, and they obey God. They are not wicked. They are not lost. And they won't just kill people and bring judgment to the land, but they will also lead the true church. They will lead the church in righteousness and in truth. Amen. They are good men. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them, walk in good works. We were created to do good. We were not created to be bad or to do bad. We were created to do good works. Of course, Babylon says that we can't do good, we can't be good, there's nothing we can do that's good, and that you should not do any works, that you don't have to do any works. But the Bible says that God has certain works planned out, ordained and designed for each one of us. Some of us are meant to be prayer warriors. I think we're all meant to be prayer warriors. But some people have other gifts, singing, playing a guitar, playing a piano, playing a banjo, playing a harmonica, prophesying, speaking in tongues, laying hands on the sick, 
a word of knowledge, so on, so on, so on. Some people may mechanically be gifted. Some people may have the gift of working on cars, but to do it for the Lord. Some people may have computer programming, but to do it to have money for your wife, for your family, for your ministry, and everything we do for the Lord. Whatever God has called us to do, whatever gifts and ability and talents that God has given us for, to do all of it for the Lord, that we are created for good works, prepared beforehand. God, before the foundation of the world, said, I will give a certain gift to a certain person. He planned it all out. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly used to, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time previously separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Hey, we were all sinners. We were all lost. We were all unclean. But now we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And now we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but now we are citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 down here. Go down to verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Once we are saved, we are members of the house of God, Remember, we, meaning that we are members of the church. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. We are growing to become holy people. God said, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. Be perfect as as my Father is perfect, however it says these things. It is not impossible to become perfect in the sense of becoming sinless. Of course, we will never be perfect in the sense that God is, in the sense that he has perfect memory of everything from A to Z that ever has happened and ever will happen. We will never become that perfect. But the Bible does tell us to become perfect in the sense that we are to become sinless without any sin at all. And that is not impossible. Not impossible. We have to get rid of all sin. There will be no sinful person in the kingdom. We have to get rid of all sin. And once we are rid of all sin, that's pretty good. 
That is pretty good. Amen. And we will be good people, people who don't sin, people who perform good works, people who are fully mature in Jesus Christ, people who love God and love fellow men. That don't mean that you should never, ever rebuke anyone, but you do love them. We are becoming a holy temple, not an unclean temple, not a no-good temple, not a trash temple, not a temple with robes of filth, but a holy temple clothed in white, fine linen. Amen. Look at Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6, which is just two or three pages over to your left. Galatians 6, verse 10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good. I really encourage you to underline the words, do good, because Psalm 53 and Romans 3 tells us that we can't do good and nobody does good. No, not one. But yet this verse tells us to do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Yeah, we are to do good to all people, but especially to our true brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Amen. Because you know, with family, with family, you will go beyond the call. With family, you will do more than what you would do for a stranger. That's just human nature. That's just the way we all are. And that's the way God is. That he will do more for his own people than what he would do for the sinners. He won't even hear the prayers. That means won't even answer the prayers of the sinners except for the prayer of repentance and prayers of salvation leading to salvation. But even God does especially good to those of his own household. Amen. Look at 1 Timothy 6, over to the right. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Verse 18. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. Instruct them to do good. This is written by Paul. He's writing to Timothy. Paul is counseling Timothy of how to best pastor that congregation. Paul, I mean Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of a congregation. And Paul, being an apostle, a, a spiritual father unto Timothy, 
leading Timothy, teaching Timothy, encouraging Timothy, helping Timothy to understand that he needs to instruct his congregation to do good. I encourage you to underline the words, do good. Then it says to be rich in good works. So I encourage you to underline that part as well, to be rich in good works. Because the other verses in Psalm 53 and Romans 3 says we can't do good works. We can't do good. Not anybody. But what that's talking about is lost people before they come to Jesus Christ. It's talking about the person who says in his heart there is no God. Psalm 53 verse 1. It's talking about the unbelievers, the lost people. But for the church, we should do good. Amen. And we are to be rich in good works. It's not good enough to just do one good work or two good works or three good works, but we should live a lifestyle of good works. How do you live a lifestyle of good works? Well, say you're in a gas station and somebody right in front of you or beside you is only getting $1 worth of gas, and you can tell they drive an old car, and, and they're not real fancy dressed, and they're going in the store to pay for only a dollar of gas. Why not just pull a $5 or a $20 bill out of your pocket and say, here, get $5 more, get $10 more, get $20 more. And uh, I was at uh, Hardy's uh, hamburger joint lately, recently, a month or two ago, whenever it was. And me and Brittany was looking up at the menu board, trying to see it because my eyes have gotten very blurry. And we were talking about what does that say and how much it is. And this man in front of us heard us and he, you know, overheard us a little bit. And he said, are you trying to figure out what to eat by calories or by price, because he didn't quite hear us very well. And uh, he knew we were going over some, some kind of numbers, but he didn't know if the numbers were calories or price. I said price. And he handed me $5. He said, here, I think it was $5. He said, here, compliments of such and such Baptist church. I'm like, thank you. And so we were able to get the better, more complete meal to eat. May, may Jesus bless that man. But I said to myself and to Brittany, that don't mean I'm going to his Baptist church just because he gave me $5, even if he did say compliments of such and such Baptist church. And I wasn't going to turn it down. Amen. In fact, it impressed me that not only did he have love to help me out, but he was witnessing for the Lord. Even though he's lost, most likely, I mean, he might be saved because there are some saved people still in Babylon. Book of Revelation says, come out of her, my people. So he might have been saved, but he's entrapped and in bondage to Babylon. But I give him a salute spiritually because he was at least trying to witness in a kind and generous way. And I believe that's a good way that we could do. See, by, see somebody needing food or gas or something and say, compliments of Isolite Ministries. 
is a good way to witness to people. And other ways to do good works, you might know somebody struggling with their electric bill, and go in the electric company and put $20 down on their electric bill. You don't have to have an electric bill to do this. You don't even have to be that person to do this. You don't even have to have that account number to do this. Anybody, anybody can walk into any electric company office building in the United States. I don't know how it works in other nations. But here in the United States, anybody can walk into the electric company or the phone company or the water company or the trash company or whatever and put some money on somebody's account. And all you got to do is say, uh, such and such person, this is the account. I want to pay $20 on this person's electric bill. You don't have to tell them you're not that person. You can pretend it's yourself. And just give the name. They will look up the account number. And you can put it down. It could be $5. It could be $10. It could be $20. Because if you're worried about whether they're going to use it for beer or cigarettes, then go in the office and pay the actual electric bill yourself. Ever penny counts. And then they will be wondering, hey, who paid $50 in my electric bill? Who paid $20? Who paid $10 in my electric bill? Well, I really appreciate that. We can be rich in good works. Amen. There are many, many other different ways, many, many ways to be rich in good works. Let's go to the book of Song again. Song 16. Song 16. Verse 3. Song 16, verse 3. Song 16, verse 3. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Majestic ones. That sounds pretty good to me. Calling the saints majestic ones. Sounds pretty good to me. Let's go to chapter 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 27. Psalm 37, verse 27. Depart from evil and do good. Do good. It is not impossible to do good. In fact, God expects us to do good. Let's go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 8. Look at verse 7. Revelation 19, verse 7. After this, we'll do one more, one more chapter somewhere else, and then we'll conclude today's sermon. Revelation 19, verse 8. Verse 8, verse 7, let's go back to verse 7. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice 
and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, which is us, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. We know Ephesians says, without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. For the fine linen is the righteous acts, the righteous works, that means, of the saints. The Bible calls us saints. Saints. That is something to really think about. The Bible says, I mean, people, people say, I'm no saint. Everybody, everybody, everybody. I'm no saint, I'm no saint, I'm no saint. But to get into heaven or to get into the fullness of the kingdom of God, you must, must become a saint. There will be nobody in heaven or in the fullness of the kingdom of new heaven and new earth who is not a saint. You have to be a saint in order to enter the kingdom. What makes you a saint? First of all, you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, but not just that by itself. Notice it says in verse 7 that the bride has made herself ready, herself. The bride, as a grown woman, will put on the dress of herself. She don't need her daddy or her husband to dress her for her. She's not a child anymore. She can put the dress on herself. And then verse 8, it was given to her to clothe herself. It says it twice. Verse 7, made herself ready. Made herself ready in verse 7. And verse 8, gave it to her to clothe herself. This means we have to do some of the work. We can't just say, like Babylon does, we can't just say, God did it. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Hey, that's a starting point. That is the starting point. But we also have to, of our own accord, say, I'm throwing away the pornography. I'm throwing away the horror movies. I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to stop lusting after people I'm not married to. So on, so on, so on, so on, so on. I'm going to stop watching this filth on TV. So on. We have to do things after Jesus cleans us and he continues to work in us. We have to make some choices ourselves. We have to ride the bicycle without training wheels. We have to learn to dress ourselves, learn to clean ourselves, learn to wash ourselves, learn to take a bath, learn to take a shower. And not always depend on Daddy to do everything for us. We are responsible for what we do and what we don't do. Not Daddy, not Mama, not husband, not wife, not children, not anyone. We are responsible for our own works and our own choices. And we are to do good. And we are to become saints. This is very, very, very clear in Scripture. And we are to do good. Now, one last passage, Matthew 25. 
Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. Twenty-five, thirty-one. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Now what this is talking about is the second resurrection the end of the hundred years. It is impossible for it to be talking about the first resurrection. Impossible for it to be talking about the first resurrection. Because if you could continue and continue to read all the way to the end of this chapter, the context is extremely clear. It can't get more clear. The context is very, very clear that it is the last judgment day. It is the great white throne judgment which is written about in Revelation 20 when the people who rose in the second resurrection at the end of the hundred years will stand at the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment. It's very clear. So understanding that, verse 33, that he's going to separate the people on the right and on the left, the goats and the sheep. Now, it's very clear that the goats is a symbolism for the bad people, the wicked people, the lost people who are not covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. They are wicked people. They do evil deeds. They do wicked deeds, bad works, evil works. But now the people on the right, what makes us different from the people on the left? The people on the right are not goats, but are sheep. That means we are followers of Jesus Christ. That means we are the flock of Jesus that he has brought in. That means we are his harvest. We are his people. We are his church. Amen. The goats are not members of the church. But the sheep, we are members of the church. And we are truly saved. We are put on the right side with symbolism, which symbolizes righteousness, goodness, that we keep the commandments, that we love God and we love fellow men, that we have chosen to live in righteous works, that we are chosen to fulfill our calling. We are saints of God. Those are the people that live in the hundred years and they stand at the judgment day. Understanding this, verse 34, then the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, meaning you are blessed by the holy breath. You are blessed by the greater measure of himself in all of heaven and all of earth. Inherit the kingdom. Come and inherit the kingdom 
prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. That is a good work, a good deed. But people would have you think, you can't do anything good. You're bad. You're just bad. You're just evil. That's what people want you to think. But you fed Jesus Christ. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, it says the righteous, underlying the righteous. Are you evil? Are you bad? Or are you righteous? It's one or the other. It can't be both. You are either bad or good, one or the other. We've got to stop taking every word of the Bible literal. There are many, many places in the Bible where it's literal and many, many places in the Bible where it is just frustration or symbolic or spiritual. But we cannot take every word of the Bible as literal. But there are many people do. And that's a huge mistake. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? In other words, their response will not be out of pride. They won't say, yes, Lord, I did. We have to watch our attitude. We have to be humble. They won't say, yes, Lord, that's right. Yeah, I did. No. It's like, instead, the response should be, when? When did I do this? You don't have to keep a list of every good work you did. I do recommend keeping a list of all the good works of God Everything that God does for you, every time he answers your prayer, every time he blesses you, every time you see a miracle, write it down. I do encourage you to do that. Keep a journal of all the answered prayers and all the miracles and all the blessings, and you will come to realize how good God is and how faithful he is. But... We should not keep a journal of all of our good works. But there are people that do that, and that is pride. Don't keep a journal of all your own good works. In verse 38, And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, remember we read, to do good to men and especially to those of the household of faith. And to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did that 
you did it to me. Amen. To me. Because that God is everywhere and he sees all things. And everyone of his creation belongs to him, even the wicked. Even the wicked belong to God. And people would say, no, the wicked belong to Satan. Only to a certain sense. Only to a certain extent. But in full reality, in full reality, everything and everybody is the property of God and all the inhabitants thereof. All the inhabitants, the Bible says, all the inhabitants of the earth are his, both wicked and righteous. And I believe the Bible says that as well, maybe. But it's true. God created everything, and there's nothing, nothing that was created that was not created by Jesus Christ. So when we do any good work to any person, any person, but especially to those of the household of faith, we do good to God himself because he sees everything good and bad that we do. And he knows our heart and our intent. Amen. And we are to have a heart of love and good works, wanting to help people within our means, within our means, within our ability. Amen. And as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity. Amen. This does not mean that you have to search out a way of fulfilling every sentence in this chapter. It doesn't mean you have to go out and find a naked person and clothe them. It doesn't mean you have to go out and find a prisoner. But rather, that as God presents these opportunities to you in the journey of life, that you would take the opportunity as is presented to you and according to your ability and according to the love that's in you, that as from the heart, not from the mind, oh, I need to do this so I can get a ticket to heaven. Not in that mind frame, I need to do this so I can get a ticket to heaven. But rather in the heart of, you know what, I see that person is in need. And I have the ability to help them. And it's a true need. A true need. And I do have the ability to help them. And I feel that, that pull. I feel that pull that I should help that person. And that's coming from a humble heart. It's coming from a heart of love. And you fulfill that action. Then you are doing that unto Jesus Christ. We should be that kind of person. Amen. Now, even the wicked, they do similar things. Even the wicked can clothe the naked, feed the hungry. 
even the wicked, even the Red Cross, even the Shriners, even the Masons, even the Catholic Church, they can do good works. How much more, how much more can the true household of God do good? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. That's the sermon. I would like to ask that you be praying for the upcoming issues of the magazine, This Gospel of the Kingdom magazine. We've never done a magazine before. We've done CDs, DVDs, music, videos, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, radio, newspapers. We've done all kinds of stuff that we've never done a magazine. So I'm having to learn how to make a magazine. And I've already got a printer uh, organized, set up to do this, hopefully, unless they say, well, we ain't going to print this, which is a possibility. Then we have to go to another printer, which would be more expensive. So let's pray that the first printer that I've already picked out that they won't turn down any of the issues that they will that they will print every issue and not turn it down because of the truth of the content. Uh, I'll be working on that rest of this month, all of next month, all of July. And so hopefully if everything goes well to try to start mailing those out in August. And we've got people all around the world that have subscribed to the new magazine. And, of course, if you are one of the people that are in constant contact with me, you don't have to fill out the form. I know, you know, and you should know, that I'm going to send you that magazine. Amen. And it's going to be a magazine of anywhere's maybe 15, 20 pages or so, hopefully. Uh, according to finances, and uh, we may have to make it smaller, uh, but I'm hoping for it to be a, a good size magazine. It will be a magazine that will try to reach the lost as well as to teach the church. So it's going to have multi purposes. multiple purposes of trying to reach the world, trying to get the gospel out there true to the world and try to reach people with uh, topics that lost people are interested in to get their attention to where they're reading the magazine and learn the truth. We are are fishing for men. And sometimes, sometimes you have to use a dirty, wiggly, nasty, worm in order to catch a fish. So we may have to put in some topics of technology, internet, movies, cars, sports, whatever. We may have to put in some worms in order to catch the men. And then once they pick up the magazine and and read it and find some golden nuggets of truth. Amen. It was a magazine that God used 
to bring me to the truth when I was 10 years old. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a sermon. It wasn't a preacher. It was a magazine that brought me to the truth when I was 10 years old. In North Carolina, when I was 10 years old, I went to the laundromat with my mom all the time. And so this one day, we was at the laundromat in High Point, North Carolina, and uh, there was a magazine rack, and it said, free, take one. So I took one. And I kept doing that. Every time I went back and every time they had a new issue, I would take another free copy. And eventually I subscribed to that magazine. And eventually I started ordering other literature from that church, which was the Worldwide Church of God at the time, which no longer exists. That church no longer exists now. But they taught the truth about the seventh day, or at least half truth about the seventh day. It was a starting point for me. They taught the truth about Christmas and Easter and Halloween and the feast days and the Trinity and heaven and hell. So they had a lot, a lot of truth. But they did not have the truth when it came to a lot of prophecy. And they did not have a lot of truth about uh, a lot of other stuff, a lot of different things they didn't have quite right. So it took a lifetime all the way up to this very moment of continuing to examine myself and study and pray and fast and seek the Lord to continue to grow in truth and to get rid of all the false doctrines. But that was my starting point, was a magazine. And I believe that it is ordained that I publish this magazine to put out there in the laundromats and in the doctor offices and to put in the mail and send to people all around the world as another tool, one more tool, to try to find that one person in a million that is willing to love God. Amen. They're hard to find, but we've got to use more tools Efficient for men, and we throw our worm in the middle of a vast ocean, full of piranhas, and hope to find a bass. I'm going bass fishing in an ocean full of piranhas. Hey, but if the piranha bites the worm and gets saved, then I'll be glad to see a piranha come to the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Paul was a piranha at one time. And he became a bass. Praise God. (laughs) We are fishermen of men. Praise God. Well, the Bibles are being sent out. The Bibles are going out to uh, different nations in Africa and Fiji and and, uh, all across the road, Mexico and Canada and all over the place. So we're very excited about that, being in prayer about that. And so we're sending out flyers and buffer stickers soon and everything else. Uh, Pray about finances because uh, I tell you, uh, we're getting a lot of orders, which is good. But, you know, down the road, 
uh, we're going to need continual, continual, continual donations and tithes and financial help and prayer for this ministry to be able to do what we need to do. Uh, I know you're praying for my wife, Brittany. She appreciates that. I know you're praying for me, and I appreciate that. We're praying for you. We are. We're praying for you. Feast of Tabernacles is coming up really, really quickly. I hope everybody's making their plans. hope everybody's saving up your money. And if you can't come be with us, we really encourage you to at least camp somewhere locally or in your yard or wherever you can do to camp in a tent to where you can get the most edification from the fiesta of temporary tabernacles. So those are exciting days coming up. But before we come to the fiesta of tabernacles, there is the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Trumpets in September. So that's coming up very quickly. A lot's going on in the news. In the news today, uh, a tornado here, uh, the military base in Nebraska, and uh, did some heavy damage to two of the doomsday airplanes that are used for whenever there's a nuclear strike on Washington, D.C., whenever there is an invasion of America and a, a nuclear strike on the capital of Washington, D.C., that these planes are built and designed to carry the president uh, uh, into the air to where he can control the Pentagon and control uh, the nation from the air. And these planes were built to withstand a nuclear blast and to be a, uh, a headquarters for the government after nuclear war. Two of them received what I believe as being heavily damaged, and seven surveillance planes with minor damage. Tornado hit at military base in Nebraska. This is not coincidence. This is not accident. <clears throat> this is a foreshadowing of the incoming Assyrian invasion of Russia and China to invade America. It's not that far away. I firmly believe that it will happen during the time of President Trump or whoever may replace him if they impeach him, God forbid. Um, and it wasn't that long ago a tornado hit a military base in Washington, D.C. So we see a, a repeated uh, uh, working on of these tornadoes hitting these military bases in the United States. Uh, in fact, one of the first issues of the Plain Truth magazine that brought me to the truth back in 1978, some of those first issues was talking about in the end times how they would be weather warfare, weather warfare, how Russia and America uh, uses Hart technology, uh, uh, Nikola Tesla technology to have uh, weapons where they can make tornadoes and hurricanes and droughts and floods to attack one another. And this is true, absolutely true. Uh, 
that Russia and America, both and some other nations, have the ability to form a tornado or hurricane or drought or flood or thunderstorm upon specific locations upon the earth as a way of waging war. Now, I don't know for sure whether this particular tornado attack on this military base was on purpose of Russia using those weapons. Very well could be. And I'm not saying right now for sure. But even if it is that or not that, either way, this nation is already under attack by spiritual forces, whether the God or the devil or the son of perdition. This nation is being prepared for invasion, weakening our defenses. And Obama literally destroyed the American military. Another thing on the newsletter today is that 80% of the Marines are not prepared. 80% of the American Marine force is not prepared. And so one of the new generals uh, are saying, you know, that they're flabbergasted, astonished at how much the American military is is under-equipped and undermanned. Our military of the United States is in horrible, horrible shape. There is no way possible for America to win a war with Russia and China. And this is ordained to happen because of my sins, because of our sins. Let's not always point the finger at other people, but let us also realize what we have done and what we have not done in order to bring this about. If there is going to be ever national repentance or revival, it has to start with ourselves. We've got to get our own lives cleaned up before we can help other people get their life cleaned up. Amen. So check out the newsletter today. There's a lot of news on there today as well. All right, so that's all for today, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. If you're listening for the first time, please check out the ministry website at isawthelightministries.com, isawthelightministries.com. Until next time, may Jesus bless you in amazing ways. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.